We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back another week talking about college football. Uh, Hope everybody is doing well. I hope you had a great Easter, um, spending time with uh, family, and uh, but most importantly, remembering the reason why we celebrate uh, for because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But uh, let's let's dive it. Let's just dive right in uh, this week. I'm gonna have my coach's corner segment. I'm going to break down LSU and the head and their hiring of Brian Kelly. I'm also going to talk about uh, UMass as well hiring Don Brown. I know I went into good detail with him when he was hired so i'm gonna just dive into a little bit on the recruiting aspect kind of look at their schedule a little bit and just see go from there and uh see how that goes and see what i think uh looking at umass um i'm also starting a new new segment um titling uh armchair quarterback where i'm going to break down the quarterback position for each each conference um giving you a rundown there i'm starting in the acc today really really good group of players um then of course i will do my weekly yukon uh talk about the huskies um some interesting things going in the nil side and then just this past saturday i was at the niu spring game so i'll talk about that as well um first i'll go ahead and dive into my visit uh, to Northern Illinois University for their spring game on Saturday. Um, again, I went to a game at NIU this past year. It was uh, the first game that I uh, checked off the list for uh, stadiums visited uh, for the podcast. Trying to again, if if you're a new listener, uh, my whole goal for this is to attend a home game at all 131 and growing. FBS stadiums Um, and I use a stadium I'd been to before but with the podcast starting I'm starting over with with visits Um, and I was going into this going into NIU I mean obviously uh, I believe it was 72 freshmen and sophomores last year saw action for the Huskies and they won the MAC title and they gave Coastal Carolina, a heck of a game, probably was, if it wasn't the best bowl game of the bowl season, it was certainly top five. Um, great, great game. Great ending between those two teams. But the Huskies bring back a ton of guys. And, the, of course, number one on that list is quarterback Rocky Lombardi. Um, he's a he's a graduate senior now. Um Came in from Michigan State last year, and obviously his leadership is going to be key for this NIU Husky program because they're still they're still super young. Um, still, even with all the experience they have, but his his senior leadership is going to be key, and obviously he's going to be one of the upper echelon quarterbacks in the MAC. Uh, he he certainly has to step up his production at the quarterback position, and. And NIU will always be a run-first team because head coach Thomas Hammock, that's what that's what he does. That's what he is. Um, that's what they're going to be. But he has to be able to put more on his shoulders. And from what I saw in the spring game, he, he was definitely getting some better zip on the ball and, uh, and getting the ball downfield, driving it downfield. I feel like one of the issues he's had in the past is um, his hip rotation or hip, hip flexion or what, whatnot. He 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 just isn't loose. Um, he gets very stiff in the pocket, 
and he and that causes some uh, some errant throws, I guess you could say. Um, he, again, it's spring ball. You're, obviously, the quarterback can't get hit. The, there's not as much pressure and everything, so of course he's going to look pretty good. But from what I saw, um, he looked he looked good to me. Um, I, I I was very blessed to be able to go on the field. Um, first time I've I've done that at in a at a college venue um, since since college myself. But uh, it, it was really cool to see up close in person the speed at what these guys are playing at, and uh, just to just to see some really cool things. One one of the main takeaways that I that I'm getting from Northern Illinois um, is obviously that run first mentality, and they they play fast. They're going to be playing fast. They're going to be moving. The defense is good. They're going to be able to stop the run pretty well. But one impact guy new to the roster who I think is going to make do some really, really great things is uh, Wisconsin transfer defensive end Isaiah Green May. This young man comes in from Wisconsin. Like I said, he played nine games last year for the Badgers. But this young man comes into NIU. He's a six-six defensive end. I mean, he looks he looks the part. I mean, he he walked by me and I was like, "Oh man, this kid looks like a football player." And he got some pressure multiple times on the quarterback in the spring game. So Isaiah Green May is somebody that you need to be looking out for um, in the MAC this year because I mean, like I said, this young man looks the part. I mean, he is six six. He is well put together. Um, looks like he looks like an NFL defensive end. So I, I really feel like he could do some really, really good things for NIU this year. And again, I, I, like I said, I've been to NIU a couple times and it's always great to go to DeKalb. It's a real quick, easy drive for me. It's an hour, 45 minutes north of me. It's just a super, super easy drive. It's a great place to visit. If you haven't been to Husky Stadium, it's a great place to, to watch a game. There's not a bad seat in the house, um, as most, as all the MAC venues are, um, from what I've been told. Um, so th just get out there and support them. Um, I expect them to do really, really, really well in the MAC again this year. Um, now I'm going to turn my focus to um, some interesting uh, name, image, and likeness uh, stuff that came out today. The Atlantic. Um, reported some interesting things three recently signed contracts by um, recruits that, that coming in that this is just some staggering numbers to me a four-star wide receiver re just signed a four-year one million dollar contract so a four-star kid obviously talented football player but he's gonna get 250,000 a year um, a top 10 defensive lineman He's going to get three years, one million. Obviously, being top ten, they're assuming he's going to go to the NFL early. Um, and then a three-star defensive lineman. This one is kind of staggering to me. Four years, five hundred thousand for a three-star. So that 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 to me says a lot. It says an awful lot because I, I think now we are in a place where. We've, we've seen some of the stuff going on. Obviously, Tennessee is bringing in a quarterback down the road for $8 million. Um, just, I think the, obviously these numbers are going to continue to grow, and it's just going to become a staggering thing. But the, the one that really just blows my mind is a three-star defensive lineman getting a four-year $500,000 $500, deal. Like... It, it's just mind blowing to me. It make it it really makes you wonder what what this is going to turn into. It's it's going to become an arms race. That's what it is, and it's it's going to get crazy. Um, and and I know a lot of people are saying that it's ruining the sport, and and it and it very well could. It very well could put could make things into something crazy, and I I. I 
I, I hate to think ahead to what that what that looks like, what it could turn into. I mean, I have some theories that I might go into in later episodes with with some others that some other people that I want to interview um, down the road. But just just some stagger, like I said, staggering numbers, and, and it's it, it, it's going to get worse. That that is for sure. But just some interesting figures I wanted to bring up there. And uh, now now let's dive into uh, my weekly talk on the Yukon Huskies. Um, those who know, obviously, uh, listen to the show frequently. I partner with, I have a partnership with uh, Sidelines Yukon. And uh, during the season, I provide weekly game breakdowns for Huskies football. And, and of course, that continues on to the show weekly. And I, I just want to say, I went back. So we'll, I'll, I'll start off with this. The, the UConn football program's Twitter account weekly in the spring here has been putting out a uh, about a 10-minute video uh, for the past four weeks. They'll probably do another one this week. Uh, the spring game is Friday for them. Uh, Move from Thursday to Friday that I just announced today. But the, the the whole Husky revolution and what's going on in, at the University of Connecticut. And these videos have been fantastic. I went back last night and rewatched all, all the videos. And, and I just had, I, I, I tweeted out this morning that first off, just a fantastic job by the Yukon Huskies coaching staff and their media department and everybody who put that together. Um, they're, they're doing a fantastic job with that. Just digital marketing, whoever it may be, whoever's doing that, uh, these videos are so well put together and so well done. I'm, I'm just a huge fan of what they're doing there with that. Um, that's big for recruiting, obviously, and big to put things out there like that for the fans and everything. And <clears throat> that's how you start the revolution. Um, but and then if you watch these videos, the second thing that I take away from it is it is in fact a revolution. Things are changing. This is not the same UConn football team. And my friend Michael from Sidelines UConn, we've had <clears throat> many conversations, and I'm looking forward to having him back on the show in the very near future to talk about things. But there, there's so many things that Jim Mora and his staff have done to revitalize this program, and it, and it of course has started with a culture shift of just a complete 180 from the previous regime uh, and just the family atmosphere that they've created from the coaching staff to the players. And of course I had uh, Tommy Zozus, who's a long snapper transfer into UConn this year. And just, he spoke on, on that exact thing as well. The family atmosphere that the coaching staff has created. And, and it, it, that's a, it's a welcome change. I know that. Um, and then in, in some of the early videos in the segment, in, in that uh, the Husky Revolution videos that they've made, they interviewed like linebacker Jordan Mitchell and some other guys just asking about those changes. And you can just see that these guys are just super, super excited to be there every day and be a part of this change. And, and it's great to see. And, I mean, Husky fans, you just have to be super, super excited to watch these and even if you're not a UConn football fan and and I'll be honest before I started this podcast I mean I wasn't a UConn football fan I've I've been a UConn men's basketball and women's basketball fan for for a long time because of Richard Hamilton and me modeling my game after him as a player and him being on the Detroit Pistons and and then just uh, Ryan Boatwright is somebody I grew up right down the street from or that live right down the street from me in high school. And, and just so many connections. And then me coaching women's basketball and just what UConn means to women's basketball. I mean, it's just so. But UConn football was never was never something really on my radar. So this partnership that I've created, that we've created between me and uh, Michael with Sidelines UConn has just been something – really cool and to see how much it's grown in not even a year to the fanfare and the following now that I have from Husky Nation is just tremendous and I and I love it and I love the support so much and I can't wait to get out to 
Connecticut this year for a game, and I plan on seeing them in two road games this year as well. I plan on seeing them play at Michigan at the Big House. I plan on seeing them play at Ball State just because both of those are really close to me and um, and my connections to the University of Michigan that I've talked about in the past as well. But uh, And then I'm really, really looking forward to getting out to Connecticut for a game just to being around everybody and Husky fans just have to be so, so excited. Just coming into, just me coming into this for not even a year and to see last year, and obviously it was a struggle. It was rough. And there were times me trying to be as positive as I could as a reporter, um, it, it was difficult um, because it, it was difficult. But I, I think one thing that, that, UConn was put down a lot last year, losing to Holy Cross and only getting one win. But the the thing the thing that people need to realize when it comes to that UConn football team last year, one, Randy Etzel was a huge problem at the beginning of the season. And he was let go, and things changed after that. And, and everything, it looked a lot better throughout the season. So the Holy Cross loss has a lot to do with Randy Etzel and just the environment that he created and the issues there. So if, if if Randy Etzel wasn't there for that, the Huskies win that game. And I predicted going to the season that UConn would win four games. Obviously, they beat Yale. I think if Randy Etzel's not there, they beat Holy Cross. And then the, the Vanderbilt game. Tyler Pumachu, the freshman quarterback who who, thank goodness, is now back getting reps after his uh, knee injury. Um, but that injury happened in the Vanderbilt game, and UConn was was playing well in that game, and I really feel like if he would have been able to continue to play in that game, they would have won that game because they still had a, had a chance to win it at the very end of the game. But I feel like if, if Tyler Puma plays that enti- the entirety of that game, UConn gets that win. And then you have the UMass game later in the year, where UConn had a ton of COVID issues. So there's that game as well that they, without the COVID issues and some injuries, they win that game too. So so as much as people were, were picking on UConn this year or this past year and continue to do so, the Huskies were right there. And, and you have to think about the Wyoming game. They fought till the very, very end of that game. Wyoming was undefeated at the time. And the Huskies had every chance to win that game. So there's four, four possibly five wins that the Huskies could have got last year. And, and, and so a lot of people don't look at it that way. But this UConn team, the, the, the issues last year, like I said at the beginning, the issue was Randy Etzel. But towards the end of the year, the issue was the lack of depth and in injuries. Now you, you add in Jim Mora with his pedigree his NFL pedigree and his big-time college football pedigree. And it's just going to create this, this, as they're calling it, a revolution. And you just you just watch the film, this, these videos that they're putting out and the other things that I see and the other people that I'm talking to within the, the program and that are, that are going to practices frequently and every day. This is a completely different team. And I remember in one of the videos, Jim Morris said he's never been more excited to coach a team than this team here. He's never seen a team with more excitement to just be, to just be better. And that's what you need when it comes to turning a corner and creating a better culture. I firmly believe that this UConn team this year will win four or five games, if not more. I'm not going to go out and say, Bowl eligibility. I'm not going to say that, but this team is more than capable of winning four games. More than capable, and I, I feel like that is that is the barometer that it should be set at. That this that it should be expected. It, and the the other thing that will be that will happen is this team will definitely fight every game. They and they did last year. I shouldn't say that they they fought and they played very hard, especially for Lou Spanos and at the end of the year. This team will be a heck of a lot more competitive in every game this year is what I mean. 
Now, now they play Michigan and NC State back-to-back weeks, and those are two teams that are potentially top 10, top 15 teams. Obviously, UConn right now isn't at that level, but I'm just saying they're going to be a lot more competitive in these games than they've been in years past, and Husky fans have to be super, super excited about that. So now I want to jump into my armchair quarterback segment. And like I said at the beginning of the show, I am going to be doing this every week, breaking down quarterbacks for each conference. And I'm starting with the ACC this week, just going alphabetically. So number one on my – well, well I'll, I'll start on the bottom. Number 14, 14 teams in the ACC, obviously – Number 14, I'm going with Riley Leonard at Duke. Um, This one was pretty obvious to me. Um, Duke was a complete disaster last year. Um, They lose their their starter from last year. He graduated. Um, Riley Leonard's back. He played played a little bit last year. Um, He's about all they have when it comes to experience. So to me, it looks like he's going to get the job. Doesn't really seem like that. I mean, they do have a freshman who's fairly highly rated, three-star kid that could come in and kind of challenge him. But nonetheless, um, I, I I expect some more struggles for Duke. But Elko is a good coach, so I I don't put it past him to really create something. But time will tell. Um, number thirteen, I got Jeff Smith, Jeff Sims from uh, Georgia Tech. Now, as a freshman last year, he put up some good numbers, um, albeit with a talent-deficient team. And obviously, he's losing his super there's a superstar running back in Jamar Gibbs, um, but going to Alabama. But Jeff Sims was um, got freshman of the week honors in the ACC multiple times last year. So, I mean, this is a young man who who can do some things at the quarterback position. The only thing I worry about this year is losing Gibbs, losing your guy, um, not only offensively, but on your team, uh, what that could lead to for him if he regresses a little bit at the position just because you don't have that guy that everybody's keying on. Um, Next up, number 12, uh, Garrett Schrader at Syracuse. Um, He put up decent numbers last year, so I mean – to have him at 12, um, I, I feel like he could be a little bit higher, but I'm I'm kind of high. I'm high on some of the younger guys that some of the other teams are going to be putting in this year. Um, but if if Schrader does slip up, Dan Valari, Valeri, uh, transferred in from Michigan, um, and he just wasn't he just wasn't going to win the job at Michigan. But he comes into Syracuse and he's got a he's got a chance there. Um, but I, I think Schrader's the guy going into camp, obviously, um, and a guy who's been there and done that. He's played some games, so he's he's a uh, it's a guy that gives you some leadership ability and in that offense, especially you need in Dino Baber's offense. You need you need some experience with that. Um, next up at eleven, I go Drake May from North Carolina. Um, Obviously, he's got some huge shoes to fill from Sam Howell. But um, in the spot duty that he's had, he, he's looked pretty decent. I mean, he's, he comes in with a great high school pedigree. Um, so, obviously, they got skill guys around him. Um, so, it'll, it, it'll be interesting to see what North Carolina looks like this year. Their first game this year is at App State. They actually have a really tough non-conference schedule. I don't understand why Mac Brown did that. Um, and that, but especially after losing Sam Howell and everybody else, but Hey, that's, that's how they're going to grow. Um, number 10, I'm going to go Jordan Travis out of Florida state. He really came on at the end of the year last year. And I think he can continue that, um, where he could at the end of the year end up being higher on this list. Um, like I said, he ended the year really well. He really put Florida state in a position last year to be successful. And, uh, Hats off to him for that. Um, then next up, number nine, um, someone I'm very, very high on, and I would honestly put higher on this list if they just had the experience at this level. But Grant Wells at Virginia Tech, he is a transfer from Marshall. 
Um, he has he's won a lot of games at Marshall at uh, at Marshall and done some really really good things. Last year he played really well. Now obviously Marshall's running game last year had a lot to do with his success too. So it'll be interesting to see him coming over um, to Virginia Tech, playing in the ACC, playing up playing up obviously weekly. But they also got a transfer, Jason Brown from South Carolina, who could who could battle him and give him C spot duty, given uh, given his running ability. Um, so that'll be interesting. Number eight, I'm putting in this. This could change drastically depending on how well he plays, or how either of them play. Uh, but I'm going with Clemson's quarterbacks. Cade Klubnik and DJ Ugaungale. Now, I think Cade Klubnik is going to win the job. I think Cade Klubnik is a future star at the quarterback position. And I understand I'm putting him at eight right now, but Cade Klubnik could be even as high as number one at the end of this season, just depending on how well he – I mean, his ceiling is is next level good. I mean, he is he is a next level type talent. At the quarterback position, I, I I think it's very apparent that he is a future NFL quarterback as long as he keeps progress progressing the way that he can progress. Um, but he still has to beat out DJ Uga Uga Ungale, um, who obviously didn't have the season last year that people thought he would. But still, nonetheless, I mean, he's at Clemson, so he he obviously can play some football. Um, number seven, I think, is a quarterback that some people might have higher on a, on their list, but Devin Leary at NC State, I'm putting at seven. Um, this is this is a young man who is very talented and is going to be on a team this year who has a legit chance to win the ACC. NC State is loaded um, defensively; they're talented. They got a good stable of running backs, and Devin Leary at the quarterback position is going to do some great things for them. Um, like I said, he could be higher on this list, but I'm just high on some of the other guys um, and other programs. Number six, I'm going Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, and I know a lot of people might even put him at second. I don't buy his hype entirely. Um, just because I'm not sold on Miami and the things that they've done in the past now with crystal ball coming in i think it's really going to change things and i think they could really turn into something special like the special that we know that they can be um, and tyler van dyke at the quarterback position will have a lot to do with that um, but that's just where i see him right now now i'm going to go with the top five number five is somebody who i love watching play and it's Malik Cunningham at Louisville. And, and I know a lot of people might say, well, he, he, he's not a great passer. And, and I, can, I can live with that. It's the other things he can do. Malik Cunningham is legitimately a poor man's Lamar Jackson. He, the things – Louisville has almost everyone back offensively and could be unbelievable offensively this year. And with Malik Cunningham coming back instead of transferring out is absolutely huge for the program and huge for the offense. But I, I, he just has that star quality. Now, I don't know if it's going to translate to the next level at all um, because he's not as good as Lamar is at passing. And Lamar Jackson isn't great at throwing the ball, but he's light years ahead of what Malik Cunningham is. So, I mean, that tells you there. But – Malik Cunningham is like a dark, dark, dark horse Heisman candidate. Now, obviously, things have to really fall into place for that to happen for him. But I'm just saying he is extremely talented, and he can do some amazing things with the football in his hand. hand. Um, number four, I'm going with Keaton Slowest of Pitt. Um, I know that might might be a little surprising because he hasn't played, obviously, in the conference. And um, he's coming into an amazing situation at Pitt where they have a very legit chance to win the conference. Um, he, he's got the Blitnikoff winner coming back at receiver. 
So, I mean, things set up really, really well for him in this offense, and he's going to be able to do some great things. And I think getting away from USC in the spotlight that's on the quarterback at USC is going to do him wonders. I think he's going to come back to that form that we saw when he was a freshman and played really well. Number three is someone I was very, very high on going into last year. Then he had a huge, then he had a huge injury, came back at the end of the year and played pretty well is Phil Dracovic from Boston College. I'm a huge, huge fan of his. I've, I think Phil Dracovic is an NFL quarterback, and, and I really, really think he can be a starter in the NFL. Not right away, obviously, but I think he can be a starter in the NFL down the road. He just has the intangibles, I think, that you look for in an NFL quarterback, and I think he can be really, really successful at that level. And BC was my sleeper last year, and – if he didn't get injured, I firmly believe they would have won nine or ten games last year, and I think they can do it again this year. Their schedule set up really well last year for them to do that. Um, not as much so this year, but I, I'm still going to be jumping on that bandwagon as I feel he can really do some things. Number two, I went Brennan Armstrong from Virginia because the numbers that he has put up at Virginia are staggering. You, you can't look past the numbers that he has put up, like 4,000-plus yard of total offense. Um, might even a, approach 5,000 last year. I mean, he was he is he is a gunslinger. He, he can really, really do some things. So, I mean, I, I understand that they aren't like a marquee team and win the most games, but you have to give him his due because of what he does. And then number one... Sam Hartman out of Wake Forest. I, I'm going to say this because I firmly believe this. If Sam Hartman <clears throat> was at Clemson or Ohio State or Alabama or LSU or you name the powerhouse, Georgia, if he was there, the, the national media would drool all over him because of what he can do. Be but because he's at Wake Forest, he isn't going to get that limelight. Sam Hartman is one of the best players in college football. And it's not even a debate, in my opinion. What he did last year at Wake Forest with that offense you know, and how he's able to throw the ball, move the ball, and run the ball. I mean, he is an absolutely fantastic quarterback. And I think he's going to come back this year, and he's going to cement himself as a first-round pick in the NFL draft next year. But be a very legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate this year. I mean, he is, like I said, if he's at a power, at one of the Blue Blood Power programs, he he is a certified Heisman finalist. But because he's at Wake Forest, he has to prove a lot of things and do a lot of different things that I, that I don't agree with that he should have to do. But <clears throat> nonetheless, that's that's the persona that's out there about that program. But but I just had to I just have to put that out there. I think he is absolutely fantastic and one of the best players in college football. That's why I have him at number 1 on my list as quarterbacks in the ACC, and I don't really think it's up for debate on who number one is right now. Now, maybe at the end of the year, one of these other guys can step in there, but it's Sam Hartman right now, and there, it's not really a debate. So now I'm going to jump into my Coach's Corner segment. Like I said, I'm going to kind of do two today uh, this this week. LSU, Louisiana State, and Brian Kelly, someone who I personally cannot stand. Um, I know him from my my days at Grand Valley State as a as a bas as part of the basketball program. Um, let me just I don't want to ever put anybody down or speak badly of anybody, but let me just say he is difficult to deal with. But um, obviously, a fantastic football coach. Um, done some amazing things at Grand Valley State. He won, like, I think it was three national championships. Um, I mean, he's he's an amazing football coach. 
So, I mean, I, I, you can't put it past him there. Then he went on to Central Michigan, won the MAC, did some good things there. Went to Cincinnati, did some amazing things there. Obviously, in Notre Dame, getting to multiple uh, college football playoffs and BCS uh, situations, and then now goes to LSU. Um, obviously, it's an interesting little uh, culture fit. Um, I think we've all seen the we've all seen the video of him <laughs> with the attempt at a Southern accent. Um, not a fan of that at all. Don't be fake. Just be real and genuine. That's that's how I that's how I am. That's how I live. Um, but nonetheless, and then some of his recruiting tactics that that we've seen on social media and everything is just kind of it's bizarre. But I mean, you got to try and get guys, and you got to do what you got to do to try and get those guys. And I mean, he's gonna get guys to come to LSU. He is. I mean, he got guys to go to Notre Dame, and I understand that there's this persona of Notre Dame and all this and that, and but it's not 1970, 1980 anymore. Notre Dame's not what it, what it was. It, it, so him going to LSU, I mean, it might shock some people, but it really isn't that shocking because where are you going to have a better chance to win a national title at, LSU or Notre Dame? It's, that, that answer is very apparent that it's LSU because it's happened <laughs> recently. Very recently. And and Brian Kelly is definitely more than good enough as a head coach to win a national title. Because obviously he's take, taken Notre Dame there multiple times recently. But it just, like I said, it's, it's an interesting culture hire. Um, it's one of those type of hires that's either going to go really, really good or really, really bad. I don't think there's much in between. But let's, let's look into LSU last year. Obviously they went 6-7. and seven. That's not the way LSU is supposed to be three and five in the SEC. They lost their first game of the season at UCLA in the Rose bowl by 11 uh, turned around, beat McNeese state the way they should have. Then they beat central Michigan 49 to 21, a good central Michigan team last year um, beat Mississippi state by one at Mississippi state by three. Then they turn around, lose at home to Auburn by five. So not uh, that's a tough loss. Then they lose at Kentucky by 21. And then they were able to somehow – that then they fired Ed Ogeron but let him finish the season. They turn around the very next week and they beat a ranked Florida team in a shootout. They did lose at Ole Miss, uh, obviously lost at Alabama, but they put up a good fight in that game. Um, lost at home to Arkansas in overtime by three. Did beat ULM by 13. Then they turned around and beat a top 15 Texas A&M team by three to become bowl eligible. Then in the bowl game, they got just destroyed by Kansas State. But that was, I mean, that was a weird situation with a lot of opt-outs and get transfers and all this and that. So, I mean, it was a very weird year last year um, They had, with some interesting results. Um, but... That year's done and over with. You look at their season this year. They open up. Uh, they play Sunday, um, first week of the season. They open up against Florida State at the Caesars Superdome in New Orleans. Basically a home game for them. Um, that one I think will be interesting to see what goes on there. Then they turn around. They play Southern. They host Mississippi State. Host New Mexico. Then they go to Auburn on October 1st. So they don't have to leave the state of Louisiana until October. So that, that that's a good start for them. Turn around, play Tennessee. They go to Florida, host Ole Miss, host Alabama. They go to Arkansas, host UAB. Then they go to Texas A&M to finish the year. So, I, I mean, I, I think it's a reasonable schedule, um, one that you look at and – and, and, and I think it's very fair to think that a Brian Kelly coached LSU football team should win eight or nine games in year one. I, I think that's very, very realistic. Um, I don't think anybody would like be perplexed or shocked if that happened or, or more even. I mean, it's definitely possible that they can win a lot more games than that. Um, but, um, 
especially because I am high on who they got at the quarterback position. But I'll look at we'll look at that in a minute. Um, but like I said, I I think it's very apparent that they can win all their non-conference games. They obviously play Florida State on a technically neutral site. Then the other uh, non-conference games are winnable. That UAB game will be interesting because UAB is good, very good. But obviously LSU is better, um, just more talent and everything. But then the SEC schedule is favorable. Um, they get, they obviously get Alabama at home. They get, and it's just, it's a favorable schedule. So I think it sets up well for them to have success next year. Then you look into their recruiting class. Brian Kelly gets hired in the process a little, little. I, I don't want to say late because it it, it certainly wasn't late. But you look at LSU, fourth in the SEC, so that's that's where you would expect them, behind A and M, Alabama, and Georgia. Um, but twelfth uh, nationally, third from a transfer portal ranking nationally. So I mean, there's there's some really really talented guys coming in, and, and I think the number one. The number one transfer portal guy that they got coming in, for me at least, is getting Jaden Daniels to play quarterback. I, I I am a and I've said this in an episode when he when he made the decision to go there. I am a huge Jaden Daniels fan, huge Jaden Daniels supporter. So having him in a Brian Kelly offense, I think, is going to be really really good for him. It's going to set up really really well for his future. Um, but you look at their other signings. They got five-star linebacker, the number two linebacker in the country, and Harold Perkins coming in. Obviously, the pedigree of LSU defensively obviously helps that. Then they got a ton of four-star kids. Walker Howard, a four-star quarterback from uh, St. Thomas Moore in Lafayette, Louisiana. This is fifth-ranked quarterback in the country. Um, then. Then, of course, other really talented guys, especially from the state of Louisiana. They they always get the top-tier Louisiana kids um, to stay home. They do a great job with that. But one of the guys that they just recently got out of the portal is cornerback Seven Banks from Ohio State. Um, really, really good pickup for them. Obviously, LSU is kind of known as DBU recent, of, of late. So, I mean, the, getting him is... You're getting a really talented guy coming in to play for you. I've already talked about Jaden Daniels. Then they got uh, linebacker Colby Fields from South Carolina. Uh, another really, really talented cornerback transferring in from Oklahoma State. Uh, Jarek Bernard, who has who has the potential to just be an, another NFL stud coming out of LSU. Then they get a uh, defensive lineman, Makai Wingo from Mizzou, another really, really talented guy who could really do some things on that defense. Um, a young man transferring in from East Tennessee State, an offensive lineman who could really do some big things. Punter from Notre Dame following Brian Kelly. Uh, another good cornerback, Greg Brooks Jr. from Arkansas coming in um, who can do some great things. Got a kid from Virginia transferring in, a safety from Louisiana transferring in, an offensive tackle on Miles Frazier from FIU who who has really done some great things. Safety Joe Fuca from Arkansas who could really come in and do some things. Um, then you got Noah Kane from Penn State, a running back. Kyron Lacey, a wide receiver from Louisiana who, who was really instrumental in the – Raging Cajun success last year. So, I mean, there's some really, really talented guys that uh, LSU is getting out of the portal. And like I said, I, I think bare minimum this LSU team wins eight games this year. And it's going to turn into, <clears throat> in, in my opinion, it's it's when, not if. Um, when, not if, the the LSU Tigers win a national title under Brian Kelly. I, I, I firmly believe that. I, I Again, I, I don't like him as a person, but as a football coach, he is top-notch. He is a top-level football coach, and he is going to do great things there. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, 
because of what he's done everywhere else. He's won everywhere else he's ever been. So now you give him the LSU job and what that means and just the pedigree that that program just has. And you have a guy who can flat-out coach come in, and it's going to be amazing. I, I personally think that. Again, I wouldn't be shocked if they won 10 games this year. I really would not be shocked if that happened. So now I'm going to look at, to end the show, I'm going to look at the UMass Minutemen. Again, when Don Brown was hired, I went in-depth on him, so I'm not going to go in-depth really on him right now. But I want to look at, I want to do kind of a breakdown on what I've done of their previous season. So last year, then looking at this year's schedule, and then I want to look at their recruiting aspect of things. I am extremely high on Don Brown as a human being and as a coach. He is he is fantastic. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of his. And he's also changing the culture at UMass, just like Jim Moore is a UConn. So, I mean, it's going to be – there's a rivalry between the two schools, and it's 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 just awesome that that this is the case. Obviously, last year they were overmatched in every game. Got blown out at Pittsburgh. They host Boston College, put up a good fight. They hosted Eastern Michigan and put up a good fight. They got destroyed by Coastal Carolina. Got blasted by Toledo. Their only win last year was against UConn. Again, that UConn team was depleted for COVID and injuries, but still they won the game. Then got beat handily by Florida State, Liberty. Then they lost at home to Rhode Island pretty handily. Lost at home to Maine handily. Then they lost at Army. Lost at New Mexico State. It, re- it got really ugly at the end of the season. After they beat UConn, it got really ugly at the end of the year, losing to two FCS teams handily. Um, but nonetheless, uh, things are changing. And, and the number one thing had to be for UMass is they had to put some t- support into the program. That was the key. And it seems like with Don Brown and that staff, they're starting to do that. So looking at their schedule going into this year, they go to Tulane. Obviously, they're an independent. They go to Tulane, to Toledo. They host Stony Brook at Temple, at Eastern Michigan, host Liberty, host Buffalo, host New Mexico State. Go to UConn. Go to Arkansas State, to Texas A&M, and they host Army. So, again, there's a handful of games in there. You know that they're they're not going to win. But the they're going to be more competitive for sure because a Don Brown coach team is always going to fight and scrap and play extremely hard. They'll beat Stony Brook, and and I think they'll steal a game or two against some of these MAC teams that they're playing. And I think they can beat New Mexico State. They can beat UConn if UConn doesn't show up and play well. So, I mean, this is – I mean – I think I think UMass again is a, a team. Can they get to that four-win plateau, where they're to that four-win mark, where they're really, where then you can really build off that? Because that that's what they, that's what I'm looking at for them. It's kind of like UConn in that sense, where if they get to that mark, they can really change things. Then you look at recruiting, 114th overall, um, 45th in the transfer portal. Ranking, so they did really well out of the transfer portal. Um, they got some talented high school kids coming in. One of the top guy, their top recruit is a quarterback, uh, Chase Brewster from from uh, New Hampshire. Um, really talented kid who's going to help them a lot. Um, but then they also got a JUCO quarterback coming in, Gino Camp- Campitoli, who who uh, comes from uh, Modesto, California, Modesto Junior College, who's going to do some great things there, who could who could really step in and help them. They got A.J. Vanateri, Adam Vanateri's son coming in at kicker. So, I mean, they got some guys that uh, you just didn't expect probably coming out of the portal uh, or coming out of the high school ranks. And then the portal, they add uh, Jalen Farrell from uh, UConn. Um, then they add a linebacker from Dartmouth, a running back from Indiana, uh, offensive lineman from Rice, who really, really will help them. Marcus Kushney, a defensive end from Florida State, is going to be a big-time guy. 
Uh, Gregory Desiree from Louisville is going to be huge for them. Probably, probably their top portal ad is George Johnson the third, a cornerback from Michigan. And then they also added a cornerback Darius Gooden from Rutgers. Uh, they had a wide receiver from San Jose State, a defensive lineman from Michigan State, defensive lineman from Vanderbilt, um, uh, offensive lineman from Colgate, defensive end from Rutgers, and a safety from Penn State. So, I mean, just a great job by Don Brown and that staff and who they were able to add and pick up via the transfer portal and high school recruiting. I mean, it just fantastic job by them in that staff. And like I said, if, if they can beat Stony Brook and I think they beat New Mexico State, so there's two wins. You get those two home wins. And I feel like they're going to be able to steal a win or two against the Mac schools, whoever it may be. Um, just if, like, like I said, if they can get to that four win mark, three or four wins for them after what happened last year, I think is a fantastic job by the staff and by the players just to, just to uh, get to that mark, but again, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see because that UConn UMass game might be a game might be that game I go to in November uh, in in Connecticut. So we'll see. It's going to be a lot of fun though. But again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, uh, listening to the show. Um, if you would, or if you'd like to, you can follow me personally. Uh, my Twitter is at coach underscore B Will. Uh, please, please, please follow the podcast Twitter account at TNT College Foot One. Dropping different things every day. Uh, trying to interact with as many people as possible uh, throughout this journey. And uh, please support, uh, if you'd like, support the uh, podcast merchandise, our store. Um, the link is in the bio on my Twitter account and on my personal account. Um, yeah, it's through Teespring. So please, please, please support. And uh, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, have a good night. God bless.